Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Hi everyone, Pastor Jeff Woodward here from Metro Church and I want to welcome you to the very first edition of a part of our life called My Story. You know, the Bible talks about the power of a person's story to be able to inspire and to be able to set an example and to be able to help others. And uh, this is our very first one. Our topic for this one's on resilience. Obviously, we live in a time right now where it's a huge focus for so many people. How do I build resilience into my life? How do I overcome some of the feelings of isolation for some or despair even for many people? Just sense of concern and worry. And uh, I believe that my special guest today is going to really help you to get a grip on that and to be able to understand how do I move forward in this time that we're in. Now, her story spans quite a few years and quite a lot of very amazing things. And through it all, her life has really been a story of resilience. So I want you to help me welcome none other than my very good friend, Eileen Green. Hi, Eileen. Hi. Great to have you with us. Yeah, great to have you with us. And thank you for letting us come into your home and move around your furniture and listen to you tell us some of the story about your life. If if I start with you, not quite at the beginning, we're not going to give away your age, but let's just say (laughs) you're a bit over 21. But you actually were a child during World War II. Your family home was down in uh, the southern suburbs of Perth, and uh, the war is going. You're only a youngster, but you can still remember things like this, which, quite frankly, I'd never heard of, that the government of the day was so concerned that Western Australia might be the target of enemy aircraft with bombing runs that they insisted that every house had blackout curtains like this put up. Yes. And do you remember your mum or dad putting these things up in the house? Well, I don't remember my mother putting them up. I just remember them being up. Yeah. And that we had to be very careful that they were secure against the windows wow. and so that no light could filter through, yeah. And, and pardon me asking, but I've never seen these, but did they have to stay up all day or did you pull them down in the day and put well, them up? Well, we actually had what they called Holland blinds okay. and they were in a, a very deep navy blue oh. uh Material and you pull those. You could put them up during the day, but pull them down wow. at nightfall. Mm. So you didn't go out at night, I imagine. You stayed up. If you did, you went out with that. You know, Without just to walk to neighbours, but you didn't go out anywhere. No, right. no. Now here's another thing that I find staggering: is you actually had an air raid shelter in your backyard. Is that right? Exactly right. Yep. Amazing. Was that common? Well, I honestly don't remember, but I'm sure it was. If we had one, well, everybody had to have one. So here's a picture of one. This isn't yours. This is half below ground, half above ground. This was the underground, yes. Did you ever have to use it? Not, no, thank goodness, but we certainly would go down and investigate because there's a stash of food down there that we thought we might be able to. Have a little so it was basically a great cubby house for the kids, was it? Well, no, we had to respect it for what it was, okay. and we did, but that yeah. was just when perhaps my brother and I were by ourselves, we could just go down and have a peek, yeah. So did you have, like, air raid drills, stuff like that at school or anything? Yes, yes. 
Wow. Though I don't recall an air raid shelter at school. There probably was one, but I, I don't recall that. Wow. No. No. How amazing. I mean, did you as a child feel any sense of, you know, anxiety or like, you know, a fear of dying or anything? Was that a part of your life? Or? No, I don't recall that it was. I think we, we were very blessed. We had a mother who loved us dearly and, mm. and just spoke of things that might happen, but we had to, we were prepared for it and, and she always said we'd be all right, so wow. we believed that she would, that we would be. Yeah. Do you think that the tone that a parent, I think about this a lot, that the tone that a parent brings to the world, they either make it more scary and heighten fear in a child's life or else if they go, you know what, here's the reality of it, we're not pretending it's not there, but... They don't bring fear into it, and that sounds to me like what your mum did for you. Yeah, I, I, look, we knew there was danger, but I just because m m my mother was sort of she told us what mm. Um, mm. what not to fear really, because wow. it probably wouldn't happen. But we had to know what to do in yeah. case it did. But mm. I don't, I don't ever recall being frightened, not wow. at all. No, that's remarkable. Yeah. I've got some, uh, this came in a kit form, so they tell me, so here's a, a bit of how to erect it. Did your dad build the air raid shop? No, 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 dad was away. Oh, he's in the Air Force. Yes, and he was, he was based in New Guinea. Wow. Um, but um, I, don't, I don't know who built it. I'm sorry, I just, I, I guess because I was so young, I just, all I can remember is the air raid shelter being in the backyard. So how long was dad away for? He, I think he was away for three four years wow yeah and do you again i find this amazing because so many people right now are disconnected or feel that way um and because we're not used to it you know there's almost a sense of going oh no this is the worst thing in the world but you had years where you never saw dad no. and there was no facetime there was no you know, ability to even know how he was going. On a well, day -day my, my mother would receive letters from right. time to time wow. and little parcels um, of um, mainly of um, little food samples that the Americans had, wow. had given to the Australian boys wow. up in New Guinea. Mm. Wow. Mm. And here's a pick. Uh, this one I find fascinating is the World War Two searchlight. Because you told me that at, I think at Pierce Air Force Base, yes. there was a searchlight on a 21-second cycle or something, yeah. scanning the skies for signs of enemy aircraft. Well, my brother and I would stand outside in the dark and watch really? and count the seconds for the searchlight to go around. It was every 21 seconds or something, yes. That is amazing. Yeah. Do you remember much? Because, again, there was rationing. You know, yeah. I know where you lived, there was a dairy down the road and there was a lot of other um, fruit trees know, fruit and, trees and yeah, orchards and yeah. whatever. But you were telling me about you, one of your memories of a toy you got given. Was it for Christmas or a birthday? It was a tea set, yeah. yes. A little tea set of uh, had cups, and, cups, cups, no sauces, cups and a teapot. And What was it made out of? It was made out of um, baked bean tins and I think it was a little fruit tin that the teapot had been made out of, and the man that had made it was a little handyman in the district. He um, 
he constructed it and then painted it Battleship Grey because that was the only paint that was available. And I thought I was Christmas because I <laughs> had this lovely little tea set given to me. Just, Isn't that incredible? Yeah. If you yeah. kept it, it'd be worth a fortune. <laughs> How amazing. Yeah, yeah. well. But then, of course, you go up, the war ends, and you end up doing nursing training. I did. Was that something you wanted to be when you were a kid? Uh, well, there wasn't a lot available. You, you, um, I was just an average scholar at school, and I didn't. You could go on to do what was known as the ATAR now, or leaving as it was in my day. Uh-huh. But uh, you, you, you did that if you wanted to be a school teacher, or perhaps uh-huh. even be a doctor, which was pretty rare. Or uh, law, I think, was involved too. But um, I got to. 15, which was um, junior, what they called junior year. And then I worked in an office uh, for two and a half years till I was old enough to start nursing. Did you like nursing? I loved it. Yeah. I loved it, yeah. And I, I worked. What did you like about it? Oh, just that you were doing good yeah. and, and you, you could see people come in very sick and, and recover and, and, and wow. um, I guess it was just me. I just like helping people and looking after that, them. That must have come, it will come to the rest of the story a bit later, but God must have known some of the challenges you would have medically in your family and all that nursing training must have been such a comfort. Such a blessing, yeah. such a blessing. Oh, everything in my life was in God's plan. I have no doubt about that. So, But when you meet Norm, yeah. who becomes your husband and you get married, Am I right that back then you had to stop being a nurse or were you able to Yeah, well, m- once you um, got married, you weren't allowed to um, work in the nursing profession or in banking. You were really? yeah, well, automatically dismissed, yes. So in actual fact, um, in 19, I finished my training in um, 1957 and I was the first nurse at um, Princess Margaret to be taken back as a married woman. Yeah. Wow. So you marry Norm, and Norm's got, you know, it still exists today. The business is a, a pick of, it's now called Greenies, because that's your surname, obviously. And that was Norm's panel beating business, mm. which I think you told me was it a family friend or somebody who thought Norm had what it took to be able to Well, for business. whatever reason, this man had watched Norm in, another, in a panel shop doing his work and how he went about it and he offered him the money to start up his business, which he oh. did and, and and that was slowly repaid. Yeah, mm. well, so. here's a pic of the house that you and Norm live. Well, that's, it's not quite the same. There was more greenery when you were there, obviously, but... And there was a swimming pool. In oh, the a swimming pool. pool. Yeah. Well, well yes. very flash. Yes. But, uh, and then... It's not that long after you're married that you fall pregnant with your eldest child, who's Jan. Um, tell us about the pregnancy, because it wasn't a normal pregnancy, was it? No, it was my first pregnancy, and of course I was very happy. But two months into the, the pregnancy, I um, got German measles, which it, it can cause deformities um, in the fetus. And um, I knew this as a trained nurse. I knew the the risk that we were taking, but as far as I was concerned, it was all here again. It was all a part of God's plan. And um, 
if he has decided that Jane would be born with any abnormality, well then, so be it. So, but I went along believing, I guess, certainly natural, believing that everything would be all right. Well, as it happened, sorry. So was there pressure on you at all, or even the suggestion, look, you probably don't want to continue with the pregnancy? Was that a part of that? Not at all. I don't know. You can put it down to me being a bit naive as far as that goes, or... Mm. Um, but, no, it didn't. And, mm. and it, um, when she was born, she was a beautiful, beautiful baby, and, and um, all was well. Unbeknown to me, the doctors had picked up that she did have a, a murmur in her heart, and but I wasn't told about that. And uh, um, anyway, we took her home from hospital. In those days, you're in hospital for ten days after you'd had a baby. After that, um, I, I took her home, and as it happened, um, I um, that that night was the first night, of course being responsible for a, a child, um, a baby, I um, woke up to her crying and I got such a fright that, oh, this is my responsibility, what's wrong? So I jumped out of bed and as it happened, my mother had been there before me and polished the floors and I slipped on a mat and 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 crashed on my face and, and smashed a couple of teeth. Gracious. Well, um, off to the doctors the next morning to patch me up and it was then that he told me that Jan had a congenital heart just to add to the confusion of the day and um, that um, he was making arrangements for her to be seen at Princess Margaret Hospital. She later on went and had her first open heart surgery at two. two which again I find that the amount of anxiety and stress of a two-year-old having open-heart surgery, which I'm sure today is still serious, but perhaps back then was even more fraught with danger. Were you, I mean, was it the kind of thing you went into going, oh, we're confident she'll be okay, or was there a, a fair level of... No, as always, when um, heart surgery is involved, I'm sure everybody's told that there is a risk involved yeah. and that the worst possible outcome is that they, you know, could result in death. Um, here again, I didn't believe anything untoward would happen to her and that she'd come through and, 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 um, and she did. Now, lots of us know and love Jan. Uh, Jan was the author of our online discipleship program and you can get more information about that at the end of this um, uh, interview. But uh, Jan's ability in the scriptures, her qualifications in it were quite extraordinary. But when she's, how old was she when you discovered that her sight was going to be a, a, I mean, was she was she actually born functionally blind or? Well, she was, but of course, but for. In that first couple of weeks, she was sleeping a lot, yeah, and, and and um, I didn't know, notice anything. But it was when she went into hospital to be checked up for her right. heart that it was discovered that she had congenital cataracts. Right. Um, so did she have any sight at all? Uh, what 
at that stage, no. But in those days, um, you get you, congenital cataracts could be uh, needled, right. and with the um, um, wow. int- intention of them uh, breaking up and right. slowly dissolving, um, did in part, but. Um, it, it never quite, Jan was always considered to be uh, legally blind, which is less than 10% vision, yeah. Now, I'm thinking about this because my youngest granddaughter has just in the last couple of months started walking, and so she's running. She went from not walking to walk, run real fast, and, but you still see the bumping of things and whatever. What does... What do you do as a parent with a profoundly vision impaired child when she starts being a toddler and getting up to a... How does she get around? Well, it's a bit hit and miss because we didn't get much help in those days and um, um, I would lay her on the floor on a rug and I'd play music from a musical toy about three or four feet away from her and she'd slide on her back towards the music. Amazing. And, um, and that's how she started to get around, by sort of attracting her with toys and music. And, um, You're a clever mum. <laughs> well, I mean, I think you told me that when you discovered her, her sight problems, they gave you a, like an A4 sheet of paper, and that was the entire amount of help, help and yeah. support that you got back in that day, so yeah. thank God we've come a long way from there. That's incredible. It was just a big learning curve. You just... Um, wow. Slowly she got through and slowly she walked. When she's uh, like 18 months, I think, Peter's born, the second child? Yes. Is that right? Yes. But, so tell everyone, because I just want to shock all the mums, how long was the labour? Well, I went into labour on the Friday night and Peter was born on the Monday morning, so um, I think it's about 60-odd hours. <laughs> I was at King Edward, which was... I went there as a trained nurse. I went there because it was the best possible hospital to be in. And um, unfortunately, I had a doctor that was more interested in being on the golf course than attending me, so I got left a bit. And But finally, when... Things got a bit out of hand and everybody started to panic. Um, I had a, I Peter was born with a forceps birth. And that resulted in some health issues. That in, well. in health, that mm-hmm. resulted in, because of the long labour of Peter being um, retarded, mentally retarded to a degree, but not so that anybody would know. They mm-hmm. would just... Mm-hmm. It was a level of impairment. Yeah, yeah. But then he also had diabetes as well, didn't he? He developed diabetes. And Jan had that as well? Yeah, Peter developed it first when he was eight after a dose of the mumps. And this is a well-known medical fact that um, after severe infections, um, diabetes can occur. So, And then Jan developed it when she was 16. So then after that, uh, a little while later, your third child, Kath, is born. And fortunately, Kath had none of those issues at all. And uh, she now lives in Sydney with her husband, two children, which is great. And you're getting to go and visit them, I believe, yes. shortly. Yes. Well done. Yes. You're in our love, aren't you? Yes. Um, I just find, 
How I, I'm really interested in this because I think we all wonder what would I be like if my first child is born, you know, with needing open heart surgery at the age of two or three, diabetes, profoundly vision impaired, then I'll have a second child who's got a level of impairment that affects their uh, ability to learn in school or whatever. And then you have another child, three kids under the age of, what, seven or something? No, I think four, under the age of four. Wow. So you have all of that and you would be completely understood if you said, why me? What, What did I do to deserve all this? How did you raise these kids? Did you know? Was there a sense of why us or no? Not at all. Um, I there was always love in our family, and it and there was love. First of all, there was God in our whole family, and that and there was love, and we just got through it. And you didn't think you didn't didn't wonder by me. Not at all. You just. You just did it. I mean, it was difficult. And people would say, oh, how are you managing? But I had my I had my mum and dad. I had my husband and I had my mum and dad. And, and, and I don't know, we just muddled through. And, 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 but I shouldn't say muddled through, really, because we lived a qu- quite a nice life. But mm. we just, I don't know, we just did what you did because yeah, there was no other... There's a couple of things you've said to me over the years that I've known you, you know, the profound influence of your faith, which I know has grown over the years, and we'll talk about that a bit later, but, you know, the profound influence of your faith and then the support network of the people around about you as well. But I just think it's so important. Lots of us get stuck on the whole thing of, you know, it's not fair or, you know, what did I do wrong to deserve all this and all the rest of that stuff. And, you know, we live in a world where declaring yourself to be a victim of anything is actually encouraged. And I get the whole deal of identifying that there's something you wish to change. But just acknowledging it doesn't bring that kind of change. It, like, it wouldn't have helped Jan or Peter or Kath or Norm or you for you to go, oh, yeah, look, this is terrible. Somehow or other... Jan and you, I mean, here's a audio Bible uh, that Jan got later on so that she can listen to it. Jan wrote our online discipleship course using large font on a computer. I know because she'd email me, um, you know, oftentimes on a Monday saying thank you for the message. One of the highlights of my life, by the way, was I preached a message on tithing once and Jan emailed, I should have kept it in Franken. She said, that was the best message on tithing I've ever heard. And I remember thinking, wow, the <laughs> theologian says it was good. It must be good. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, that's, oh, that, but see, that there, if we'd sort of hadn't bothered to encourage her and her mm-hmm. her um, education and, and just pushed her a little bit, she might never have reached those heights. I don't know. But it also but, made Jen, anyone that knows Jen, um, and Peter was the same. I remember meeting Peter. He had a little Morris 1000, I think, that he restored. He was so chuffed about that. 
because he'd worked with his dad on yeah, it. Yeah, he loved his dad. And, you know, Kath has risen to some pretty great corporate heights as well. And I just think, and yet there's never been with any of them a sense of competition. Their difference has not been the focus. It's been about going, like Jen just believed she could do anything, really. And I, I'd say to you and Norm and to your faith goes a lot of credit for that in just making sure that these young people grow up saying my limitations don't prevent my destiny they're just part of the landscape and away we go yeah yeah so well done for you both for that thank you thank you yeah now if i can change gears just a little bit here because um both your all your children have grown up cats moved to sydney etc then in 2003 uh, Norm passes away, and then your brother Kevin, who I'd also met uh, several times, he passes away in 2014. So your story thus far has been World War Two, you know, two children with some pretty big health challenges and raising the three kids. Norm's got a business that is a, is always pressure uh, for any business owner. You've got all of that, and then Norm. Yesterday would have been your 64th wedding anniversary to Norm. And uh, then Kevin, whom you love dearly, is a great man. Um, all this is going on. And then along comes 2021. And if the pandemic is not enough, uh, Peter suddenly passes away. And then I think it's only two months later, Jan has been scheduled for another open heart surgery. Was it a third or fourth? Yeah, a third third open heart surgery and I remember coming here to your home with Pastor Bruce and we sat at your table and you made us a coffee and we sat and talked to Jan who was as large and as full of life and I said Jan are you worried are you concerned about the operation and I'll never forget I still can picture her. she sat there at the end chair and she said no she said I trust God that he will look after me, uh, whatever happens. Hmm. And I asked you the same question, and you said, well, your exact phrase to me was, it's all in God's hands. And the story goes, of course, that Jan didn't survive the open-heart surgery. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just think, thank God for a life so well-lived that when someone like that passes away, you feel privileged to have known them. And I mean that. Mm -hmm. I remember you know, taking Jan's, uh, officiating at Jan's service and just thinking to myself, what a joy. I still miss Jan. I, you know, you're a mum, of course you do. But I miss Jan. I miss her encouragement and that she brought to so many people. I never once ever, ever heard Jan complain about anything in her life. But I want to ask you, with all that's gone on, and you're human, so you miss them. You know, so, you know, of course. But how do you think about it? How do you process all this? How do you deal with the loss of two adult children? What do you yeah, Well, with Peter, Peter had had diabetes for 50 years. There you are. And you got a medal for it. I'm he like. did get a medal for it. He said, he rang me one day and he said, Mum, I'm getting a medal. 
And he was so overjoyed, and I said, whatever for, because he'd never won a thing in his life. <laughs> and he said, I've been a diabetic 50 years. Well, I laughed till I cried That's with him. Right. And anyway, we went to a little ceremony that the Diabetic Association had, and, and he was awarded his medal for 50 years. Wow. And then just this year... Um, all the complications that go with diabetes, which I have to say is one of the worst possible diseases anybody can have. And um, um, I, um, I was, when he died, he was in heart failure and kidney failure and, wow. and, and it was time that he went to heaven. It was just time. And he'd had a pretty, his last years were not pleasant for him. He was a very sick man. Anyway, that was Peter. And then with Jan, Jan had said to me, as Jeff just said much the same thing, Mum, I want you to know that if I come through this operation, that'll be great. I'll be a whole lot healthier. But if I don't, it means I'm in heaven. Whichever happens, I'm a winner. And those words... They, they stay with me and, and I, they made me strong because I know, I know that it was all a part of God's plan that it worked out this way, that I didn't have to worry about how she'd manage after I'd passed to heaven. And so it just is all God's plan. And if we can all understand that and, and live by it, we'd all be in a much better place. Thanks. Thank you. Amazing. You told me that you always grew up with a faith, but Jan was always pushing you towards a more closer understanding of who Jesus is and what he could be in your life. Always, because always I'd said to her, Jan, you're the Mary of this family and I'm the Martha. And it was so true. <laughs> so true. But anyway, she did help me along the line a lot. Yeah, well, anyway, there we are. What what's it has your faith in all of this? Because, again, I mean, I just am amazed at all the story of, of how significant it all is. You know, I mean, I know you feel like, well, I didn't do anything special. You've told me that. I'm no better than anyone else. I go, I get that. But your story has some pretty astounding twists and turns in it that most of us aren't going to encounter. Most of us won't go through what you've been through. And yet people that are a part of this program, uh, this time together, a lot of them are in places where, you know, there's restriction, there's uncertainty, there's pressure on business, there's pressure on families. I've heard of more tragic stories of families disconnecting and unraveling in the last year or so than I think I've ever known in my decades as a pastor. So I want to ask you this because I think a lot of people know church and they can hold on to that, it's great. But it sounds to me like for you there was a a knowledge and awareness of Jesus that's different to just going to church. Am I saying that right? 
you know, he's in me. I, I can't put it any other way. He's in me, and and everything I everything I do, not that I'm aware of it all the time, but I know it's there. Mm-hmm. Everything I do is because of him. Wow. And I, I've always said one of the one of the ways I've led my life is if I'm in doubt about something and I'm going to go off the track a bit. I say, Jesus, what would you have done? I ask myself that, and and always it works out for the yeah, best. Well. Stayed out of trouble all these years, anyway. Yeah, you've so, done very well. So very well. there we go. So. I know that um, one of the scriptures that you've mentioned to me sometime or other uh, that meant so much to you, you know, was the you know Hebrews thirteen verse eight, which says, "I'll never leave you. I'll never, never forsake you." It's well, true. It's funny, isn't it? Because I, I, I was talking to some people in the last week who they made a comment about, oh, I never thought those people were church people. And what they mean by that is they've got an idea of church people as being somehow rather locked into rules and some kind of rigid uh, behaviour, you know, set of boundaries. And yet nothing you've said is about that, but rather it's about strength, it's about peace, it's about confidence. That's all, right, but- all the things you've said. I, I just, I just thank the Lord for all of those things that He has given me, strength. He has given me love. He has given me. He's filled me with His Holy Spirit all the time. I, I just, I know I don't show it all the time, but it's in me, yeah. and 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 that that's where I've got my strength from. I'm sure, I'm no doubt, and of course the people around me. Let me just finish by asking you about that because, again, uh, I think in our world right now, we're all pretty busy, everyone's occupied. How important is church family to you? They are just so important and and really what could have been a very lonely time for me because I have no family here anymore. There's nobody and, and... a number of people in the church have just been unbelievably kind and given me so much strength. And I, I and 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 the and the pastors, you, you guys have been just amazing. You've just everybody's been there, and they'll do anything for me. I've been doing things. I've got one of the couples that have been really really helping me through this. Are much younger than me. And they've taken me to places I've never been before and, and, and doing things I've never done before, not for a long time anyway. Wow. And they've just made this this time of healing so much easier and I'm very grateful. Well, I know this week you're headed off to help uh, the next generation. You're going down to Levers for yeah, one I- night, but... I've never been a VIP in all my life. <laughs> and at my rich old age now, I'm become a VIP. So there. As I often say, you know, when I go to Red Frogs uh, on the tour, like it's the one night of the year when I'm cool to kids. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. You'll love it. You really will. Look, thank you for your story and thank you for taking the time and thank you for inviting us into your home uh, for this because I think that some of the things that you've said about gratitude uh you know being grateful for what god has given you in your life for having a support network around about you which i don't think you can overemphasize i think above all of that the 
the deep faith, which is available to everyone. You know, I meet people all the time who think faith is something you had to grow up with. If you were in a Christian home or a Christian parents, you might have faith, but I'd say no. Faith comes by an openness to Jesus, by saying to Jesus, would you come into my life as you just said a minute ago, he's in me. So it's not a matter of going, you know, I have to conform to this certain behavior or I've got to, you know, understand all this stuff. It doesn't start with that. It starts with you coming into the family of God by receiving Jesus into your life. And then it's a daily walk. Because I mean, resilience isn't a gift that lands on you. You know, if you'd had to know everything that was going to happen at the beginning, you may not have made it. No, I agree with that. But it's an everyday thing, isn't it? It's, it's not a matter, I don't have to solve next year, I don't have to solve next week even. I've just got to live today. And I think that those lessons of gratitude and support, you know, the connections in your life and then faith, I think they're pretty powerful when it comes to building a life of resilience. Um, we want to pray for um, everyone that's a part of this service because um, I think there is nothing that prayer and faith can't help and change. And so don't forget, by the way, if you would like prayer, then just simply either info at metrochurch.org.au or you can go to the website metrochurch.org.au or uh, use our app if you want to do that for prayer. Uh, we'd love to be praying for you. And we've got a team of people who've given their time. They believe it's part of what God's asked them to do is to be praying for others. Uh, if you're interested in the online discipleship, by the way, the address for that will come up as well on this so that you can access that and see some of the work that Jan did uh, in helping people to get grounded in the Christian faith and really begin to, it, it's like turbochargers that grow. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Hey, thanks for being here. Would you pray with me? Come on, we're going to pray together for everyone that's a part of this service. Father, we thank you thank for, you, Father, for every person that's a part of this. Whatever it is that they are facing, whether it's in the family, in the business world, whether it's a healthy life, Eileen and her family have had to walk through. I pray, Lord, that you will take this woman's great story. You said that our testimony overcomes the wicked one. So, God, would you today begin to act to overcome the wicked one by this great story? Thank you for Eileen. Thank you for... her life and for all that you have allowed her to be a part of so that others can learn and so that others can be changed. We thank you for them. Pray God for every person and let everyone know they're not alone. God is there and God's people are there. We thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. For Amen. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much. This is our very first one of my story. I'm looking forward to the next couple. We've got a couple in the pipeline that I think are going to, again, fascinate uh, people and help them to grow. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you, Eileen Green, for an, uh, a, such a deep and transparent insight into your life and how God has led you. I think it's so inspiring to hear from someone who's had to journey through a lot of difficulty and yet has come out well out the other side. By the way, next Sunday night in our grow session, 
I'm going to be speaking about that very subject of resilience. I believe God wants to help every single one of us, no matter what our age or what our circumstances are. He wants to help us to build more resilient lives. You know, the time to build resilience is not when the problem arises. It's right now before the problem arrives. And so I want to help you do that next Sunday night. If I Don't forget, by the way, that all of our material, all of our content stays up there on the YouTube channel. So if you want to share that story with someone, you can just send them the link to that from Metro Church WA on YouTube. But before we do that, can I just pray with those of you who, who have never received Christ as your Lord and Savior? I really don't know how my life would have been if it hadn't have been for that moment as a young man when I said yes to Jesus and that simple act. I had no idea where that would lead me. I had no idea how deeply it would change my life, but God did. And I believe the same for you. And I'd love to pray for you. And then you can send in your yes to the number that's on your screen or to the email address, the website address on your screen. We would love to be praying with you. And that won't stop in that moment, by the way. We'll keep praying for your walk with God over the days that lie ahead. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for each person that's been a part of this service, each one that's heard this story. And Lord, they've realized that they need you in their life. And so God, I pray for them that as they say yes, humbly and maybe even without a ton of confidence, but just leaning in on you and saying, God, I'm asking you to do this out of mercy and grace for my life. Thank you for salvation for each one of them in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, of course, thank you all those of you. This is our church. It might be online for some of these sessions, but it's still church. And so we keep on believing blessing over your life because we know that giving is something that our church just does all the time. But I want you to know that it's never in the background for us. We keep praying for the favor and the blessing of God over your life in Jesus' name. So as you're bringing your giving to God, know that there's prayer and faith surrounding that act that you are doing at that point. Hey, look, it's been great to be with you. Hope I can see you next Sunday night uh, where I'm going to be teaching on how to build resilience before the problem arrives or if it's already here, well, how you can be strong in the middle of it anyway. This is Jeff Woodward here from Metro Church and Metro Online. Great to have you with us. God bless.